everyone this morning? Got their coffee intake at a good level? Okay. My name is Whitney. I am one of the teaching pastors here at Connect. And if this is your first time here, we want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you were here last week or maybe you tuned in last week, you got to hear Dave, our lead pastor, start us off in our brand new series, our brand new four-week series based off the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And that book's written by John Mark Comer. And This is what the book told us, basically. This book reveals the prevailing issue in our society today, and that is just busyness. We're all busy, right? And busyness has just become an idol in our lives, and it's the idea that we have to be on the go all the time. We have to be going, 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 and we put so much on our plates, and we fill our plates high, and it's, and it's things that really don't matter. It's on trivial things most of the time. Last week, we also learned that some of us have an illness, Some of us have hurry sickness. Did any of you have hurry sickness last week? Some of the um, symptoms are irritability, out of order priorities, workaholism or maybe just nonstop activity, and emotional numbness. So we discovered that we had hurry sickness. So I have a question here for you this morning. If you were driving and you come up to a stoplight, The stoplight's green, but all of a sudden it turns yellow. What do you do? You what? You floor it. We are flooring it. And if you're not flooring it, I'm surprised. But we we put the pedal to the metal because we don't have 60 seconds to wait at a stoplight, do we? I was driving with my family yesterday. We were going somewhere, and the light turned yellow, and my husband floored it. And I said, you need to make sure you're in church tomorrow. And he was. He was here this morning. Um... But that's what we do. We all have hurry sickness. We've idolized this busyness. The busier you are, the more important you are. The busier your schedule is, the more popular you are. We learned that fast is good and slow is bad. Fast is productive and slow is just laziness. That's what we, that's what we think. And the book, um, Mark Comer says this. He said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life, and this is what the devil's gonna do. If the devil wants to keep you from growing in your relationship with God, if the devil wants you to not grow in your spiritual life, he's gonna keep you busy. That's what he does. He keeps us busy so we don't grow closer to God because this is what we know. The the busyness of our lives, it, it cuts off our connection with God It cuts off our connection with other people and it cuts off connection with our own soul. Hurry is completely incompatible with love. And Dave talked about this last week. We know, especially as Christian followers, that that love is our greatest commandment. We must love God and love other people, but we can't live in this hurry state of mind and, and love God and love people at the same time. It's just nearly impossible. Maybe you've heard someone say this, or, or, or maybe you've said this yourself. I know I have. And that is, there is just not enough hours in the day. I wish I had more time in the day. And the solution to hurry is not more time, because here's the problem. Let's say we were given more hours in a day. Let's say we were all given 10 extra hours in a day. Eventually, we would fill them up. 
We'd put more on our plate, more trivial things on our plate. We'd get busier and, and then we would be left more tired and more burnt out. The solution to hurry, the solution to busyness is not more time. The solution to hurry and busyness is to be a good steward of the time that we've already been given. We've got to be good stewards of our days. We need to slow down. We need to prioritize. We need to make the important things in our life stay the important things so that everything else in it can take the back burner. We need the important things to stay the important things. Comer says this in the book. He says, hurry isn't just a disordered schedule. It's a disordered heart. So hurry just isn't a time thing. Hurry isn't a schedule thing. Hurry actually is a heart thing. So what's ruling our hearts these days? We can look at our schedule, either on our iPhone or our planner, if you still use a planner. We can look at our bank account. What is ruling our heart these days? And we all have the same amount of hours in our day. We have 24 hours. We all have the same amount of hours. We have 24 hours in the day. And life, we know, is a series of choices. For every yes we say no to, we're actually saying no to like a thousand other things. If we say yes to a commitment, if we say yes to something, that means we're saying no to something else. We cannot do it all even though we try. And sometimes we just learn to, need to learn to say the word no to something so we can say yes to the important things. There is an author by the name of Anne Lamont, and she says this. She says, no, the word no is actually a complete sentence. You can just say no and leave it there. No is a complete sentence, but somehow we overcomplicate it. So we're going to practice here this morning. We're going to shout out the word no, because I know a lot of us just have it, just wanting to come out here this morning. So on the count of three, we're going to yell no. We're going to practice, okay? So one, two, three. No. Good. That was, see, we can do this. We can say the word no and have it be a complete sentence. There's an author in the 1800s. I want you guys to remember. It's the 1800s. His name was Henry David Thoreau. He was way ahead of uh, us um, in this thought process of time and, and busyness. And, and he wrote a book, and this is what he said in his book. He said, I'm going to go live in the woods for two years. I'm going to go live in the woods for two years. And for the reason is I need to simplify my life and I need to slow down. So this was the 1800s. What did he need to slow down from? What did he need to simplify from? There was no phones. There was no emails, there was no Netflix, but he knew that he needed to slow down and simplify his life. So we learned from this that this isn't a new thing. This isn't a new thing that we are dealing with. This busyness and this hurry state of mind is nothing new. It may be different, but it's not new. And here's what he learned. He did go away. He did live in the woods for two years, and he came back and he said this, we need to live deliberately. We need to live deliberately. And this is the word, this is what deliberate means. It means consciously, intentionally, on purpose. And do you know here this morning that we all have a purpose, like a real purpose? And, and I'll tell you what our purpose is not. We were not created to wake up every morning, go to work, come home, eat dinner, watch a show, go to bed, and then go to work, 
eat, come home, eat dinner, watch a show, go to bed. That is not what our purpose is. That's not what we were designed for. We also weren't meant to get up and then go, 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 go all day long and fill up our schedule with just stuff. We weren't designed for that either. But we do have a purpose, and it's a God-ordained purpose. And Paul reminds us about this. And in Ephesians, Paul says this. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he had planned for us long ago. We're God's masterpiece. And he wants us to live out his purpose that he designed for us long ago. So we have a purpose, but are we this morning allowing ourselves to live that purpose, to live going towards that purpose? Or are we allowing hurry, the busyness in our lives, to rob us of that purpose? This is what Mark Homer says in the book, The Ruthless Elimination. He says this, he said, you know, I started a really successful business. But I did end a couple marriages along the way. He says, I got my kids to their dream colleges, but I never taught them how to follow Jesus. He says, I got those three letters after my name that I worked so hard for, but he says this, I never learned the hard way, or I had to learn the hard way, that intelligence is not the same thing as godly wisdom. He said, I made a lot of money, like a lot of money. But I never grew rich in the things that mattered the most. He said, I watched all 14 seasons of fill in the blank. But I never learned to love prayer. And here's the thing. Those things at the front end of those sentences are not bad within itself. I mean, it is not bad to have a lot of money. It's not bad to be successful in your business. It's not bad to get those um, letters behind your name. Those things aren't bad. But it comes bad when they become priority over the things that are important. About working so hard to make a lot of money that your family, your kids at home don't know Jesus. Or maybe you're working so hard to, to get that successful business, but you, you lose your relationship with God. The important things have to stay the important things. And this is something that should really get us thinking here this morning. That should really get our hearts stirring here this morning. Because a lot of us, we waste a lot of time during the day. There was a study um, that wasn't long ago that it said that the average guy, none of you guys here, but the average guy, um, he spends over 10,000 hours playing video games by the time he's 21. 10,000 hours, that is over a year's worth. I mean, could you imagine 10,000 hours? We could be like an expert in any field that we wanted to. We could master anything, 10,000 hours. And unfortunately, we do this to ourselves. These, these things that we do, that we give our time, it's self-inflicted. We do this to ourselves. We are given thousands of hours per year. So what are we doing with that time? What are we putting on our plates? Comer says this. He says, every day is a chance. Every hour is an opportunity. Every minute is a gift. And, and we could lose those. We could lose that time to meaningless things. Or we could take that time and invest it in our purpose. 
Paul says this in Ephesians 5. He says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. He's just saying, make the most of the time that you've been given. Be a good steward of your time. Be wise. Live deliberately. So remember, some of you probably remember here this morning, remember the day that we got bored? Remember what boredom was? This was actually a thing that we felt. We got bored, and now we don't feel that because the minute we feel something coming on of boredom, we, we pick up our phones, and, and we scroll, or we call somebody, or we put on a Netflix show. But there used to be a day, remember we would go to like the doctor's office and we'd sit in silence. And when we got bored, we'd walk over to the magazine section and we'd pick up a highlights. Remember the highlights? We saw what was not in this picture, but was in this picture. We found the missing object. And then when we, we did all the highlights, we watched that big thing in the corner of the room and we watched Young of the Restless and Days of Our Lives. That was fun, Right? And if we got really crazy, we would talk to somebody. We'd talk to somebody, like, like full-on sentences. We'd have a conversation with somebody. We would look them in the eye. But now when we feel the inkling of boredom, we pick up our phone and we start scrolling. And don't get me wrong, we, we live in an incredible time of technology. I mean, we, we really do. I mean, we're getting more done in less time, and um, technology is great in so many ways. But unfortunately, I think we lost something along the way. We lost those mo moments and those opportunities of boredom because what we could do in those moments and those opportunities, we could talk to God. We could connect with God. We could connect with other people. We could connect with ourselves. And now we're bored and we pick up our phone. And truly the only place these days that we could be alone with ourselves and our thoughts is in the shower. And I guarantee you Apple is working on a waterproof phone right now. And at that point, I hope Jesus is like, that's it. I've had enough. I'm coming back. But this new normal is truly robbing us of those moments that we used to have, those moments that we could just be present, again, with ourselves, with God, with others. We live in a world with so much noise. We live in a world with so much noise. We have the news. We have the social media. We have the people on the social media trying to be the news. You know what I'm saying? We have Netflix. There's just so much noise all around us. And unfortunately, with all the noise around us, it's making us distracted and it's making us deaf to the voice of God who we need the most. Dave said last week, he said this, he said, the noise, life, it's just distracting ourselves and we are going into a spiritual oblivion. So what do we do here? Let's get practical here this morning. We need to work on some um, spiritual disciplines, some holy habits, if you will. So we're gonna really dive in this morning on silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. Being able to be alone in silence both internally and externally. Now externally can be pretty simple. We can just turn off our phone. Shut off the TV. Maybe we drive somewhere and we don't have music on. 
Maybe we walk through the park, listen to nature. We can do that. Now, it's the internal silence that's like a whole nother beast that we struggle with. Comer says in the book, he says this, he said, internal noise is the mental chatter that never shuts up. It's the mental chatter that's, that never shuts up. It's that ongoing commentary in our heads of that conversation we had last week with a friend. Did I say this? Did, did I come off the wrong way? Did she say this? I don't, I mean, we go on and on about the conversations we had. We, we go on about these hypothetical situations that probably won't ever happen. The fears, the worries, the what ifs, it goes on and on and we don't have a switch to turn it off. We need to train ourselves to to sit and be in true silence because Jesus did this all the time and he did it consistently. Now, solitude, this is what solitude is. Solitude is being alone with God and your soul. It's being alone with God and your soul. And I I want to, to point out there's a difference between solitude and isolation. They're two different things. Now, solitude um, is when you open yourself to God. You open yourself to God. Isolation is when you actually put a target on your back for the enemy because you shut yourself off from everything and everyone. Solitude can sound really lonely, but if we do it correctly, it's actually anything but lonely. Solitude is inner fulfillment and isolation is inner loneliness. In solitude, we're anything but alone. And in fact, that's where truly we can feel the strongest because we're connected to God. And I think a lot of us here this morning, we, we kind of feel the same way, but we don't want to admit it. We feel the same way. We, um, we see people, feel that we, they look so connected to God. They look like they have the best relationship with God. And, and we don't feel that. We want to feel that, but we don't know how to get connected with God. And this is what a lot of us do. We, we come to church on a Sunday, and we get that good God hit. We get that God feeling, and we're just on a high. We feel connected to God. We feel God's presence, and, and we leave, and we feel so good. And unfortunately, that's fleeting. Those feelings fade. So... We go back to our regular life. We go back to the grind. And um, the average churchgoer actually comes every six to eight weeks. But we just go back to like our, our regular living, our regular life. But what if I told you, if you gave solitude and silence a chance, you could feel the, the presence of God on a regular basis. But you got to give silence and solitude a chance, and that will make you grow with your connection with God. So how do we do this? Well, we need to follow Jesus. And I, and I know that seems like the churchy answer, but we need to follow his example. What did he do? How did he live? What did he consistently do? What did he put in the re- regular rhythms of his day? Because hurry is the opposite of how Jesus lived. You don't hear anybody asking like, hey, how's your run with Jesus? No, how's your walk with Jesus? In Matthew chapter three, this is where Jesus gets baptized. He goes underwater and he comes up and he hears that audible voice of the father and he says this, he said, this is my son whom I'm lo- who I love and in him I'm well pleased. 
And then the spirit comes down as a dove. And this is a huge, incredible moment for Jesus. This is like the launching pad of Jesus' ministry. He gets the green light. He can do the healings. He can do the teachings. He can, he can do all the things. But this is what he does. This is what he does next. In Matthew 4, it says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, of course he was hungry. Our kids are hungry every 40 minutes. We know that, moms, right? But this is what he does. He has the green light to start his ministry And he says, okay, BRB, I got to go. I'll be back in about 40 days. I need to go spend time with the Father. He goes to his solitude place, his silent place, to be empowered by the Father. It's like we, have you ever, like it's like getting a brand new job. We get a brand new job and we go on the first day. We're like, okay, this is my first day, but hey, I'm gonna need about 40 days off, uh, but then I'll be back and then we can really get this thing started. No, you would not hold a job if that's what happened, but this is what he did. And then also in this passage, you see the word, word wilderness. You see the word wilderness. And in the Greek, that means eremos. And eremos means a desert, a solitary place, a lonely place, a quiet place. And as you read through the Gospels, as you read through the life of Jesus, you will see Jesus doing this over and over again. He goes off by himself to his eremos, his quiet place. And it's a really common perception as we read that scripture where he's in the wilderness and we think, Isn't that just like the devil attacking Jesus right before we know he's going to go do big things and heal people and change people's heart? Isn't that just like the devil? And we look at this and we think the wilderness is a place of weakness. But that's actually not the case. The wilderness is actually the place of strength. That's where Jesus was empowered by the Spirit to go do some really, really big things. In Mark 1, it was Jesus' first day on the job as the Messiah. And this is after the 40 days and the 40 nights, and, and Jesus is ready, okay? He, he had his time of a Ramos, and um, he does big things one day. It's like a marathon day for Jesus. He, uh, he teaches, he heals, he casts out demons out of people, and you would think he's exhausted. He had this marathon day as the day of being the Messiah for the first time. But this is what he did the next day. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So you would think that Jesus would think, be like, you know what, we had a great day. Let's sleep in tomorrow. Let's turn off the alarm. Maybe I'll take the disciples to brunch. Maybe we'll get a quick workout in and we'll get back to the grind. No, after this crazy day, he gets up in the morning while it's still dark. And he went off to his solitary place where he prayed because he knew he needed it that much. He's like, I got to go back and spend time with the Father. And again, you see this over and over again, Jesus doing this. And when he comes back after his time of silence and solitude, big things happen. After a a time of solitude, he came back and he appointed the 12 disciples. 
And you also see after this time, he comes back and in conversation, he's reciting the book of Psalms. He's reciting the book of Psalms and um, it's, it's as if he's memorized the book of Psalms. It's as if it's like in the back of his mind. And the standard practice back in, in, in the day in this Jewish education is they would memorize the scriptures. And the book of Psalms was the, the prayer book for, for Judaism back in Jesus' day. So what do we think Jesus was doing in his time in Aramos? He was praying to the Father. He was, he was in silence and he was meditating on the word. He was meditating on scripture. And we see this because he knows it like the back of his hand. And if you look actually in the first paragraph in the book of Psalms, it kind of tells you what to do with this book. And it says this, verse one, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this law day in and day out. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. It's saying, listen, don't be like the, the wicked ones over there, but blessed is the one who meditates on the law, who meditates on the scripture, for you will produce much fruit. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was meditating on the scripture. Now, Jesus didn't just do this because it was important to him. He also taught his disciples to do this as well. He, he's like, you know what, if, if I'm going to do it because it's important, I need you to do it as well. So he says this to his disciples. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. He's saying, listen, don't be like the hypocrites who want everybody to see them pray. But when you pray, I want you to go to a quiet place, shut the door, be alone, and pray to the father that is unseen. And what we can learn here this morning is quiet time shouldn't just be a one-time thing. Quiet time can't just be an occasional thing that we sometimes do. It needs to be a spiritual discipline, a holy habit. And we need to put it in our day-to-day -day rhythms. Jesus never wasted any time to get back with the Father. So this is something that we have to put in our normal schedules. Because we all live in this world, in, in this culture, in this society today, and, and it, it's killing our souls. But could you imagine the strength that we could get from this day-to-day -day habit with God. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, but how do we truly tap into that power 100%? Well, we have to spend time with the Father. We have to connect with the Father to tap into that, just like Jesus did. When Jesus went to his, his quiet place, that's where he was the strongest. So how can you and I receive the word of God, if we can't even sit still enough to listen to it. We've got to practice that time of silence where we can sit still and listen to it. How can you and I be the, the people that can hear clearly and respond quickly if we don't know how to sit with Jesus? So I'm gonna give you a take home today. We're gonna have a little homework today. 
The first thing is, we got to start this week. We got to start it this week. We got to start our quiet time, our time of solitude this week. Maybe it's 15 minutes. Maybe it's 40 days and 40 nights. That is up to you and Jesus. But we got to start our quiet time this week. We got to show up. We got to be intentional. There's a story of this guy who actually um, got a gym membership and he went to the gym every single day, but he only went for five minutes. He did not allow himself to be there for over five minutes. And um, with the five minutes he was there, he was intentional with his time. And people at the gym who saw him there thought he was crazy. They're like, this is, this is so stupid. Like, why is he coming here? Nothing, he's not gonna gain any from anything for coming for five minutes. But he did this day in and day out. He did not miss a day. He went to the gym and he gave five minutes and he left. So what was he doing? What was his intentions? Well, he was mastering the art of showing up. He mastered the art of showing up. He just showed up. And he actually eventually lost 100 pounds from them from this. But that's something we can learn from this guy is we just got to show up and just go from there and see what happens. The next thing we need to do is pick a time. We need to pick a time. We cannot wake up in the morning and just say, I'm sure I can figure out some time later. I'm sure my schedule will allow five minutes. I, I promise you, if we say that, that's not gonna happen. Because as we have learned, we, we fill our plates, we fill our time, that time will not happen. That time will just not be there for you to spend time with God. So you need to pick a time, put it in your schedule, make it concrete. Next, we gotta pick a place. We gotta pick a place. A familiar place. It could be in your living room. It could be in your room with the door shut, just like Jesus taught his disciples to do. But it's got to be quiet and it's got to be available. We got to pick a place. And then we pick a plan. So if you haven't, download your Bible app on your phone. There are hundreds of plans in there that you can, you can do. And in fact, there is actually a plan for this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, in the Bible plans in the Bible app. So you can start there. I'm, I'm giving you a, a free pass there. Start there. But we got to pick um, a plan. We can't just close our eyes and open the Bible and think, okay, I guess I'll read this. You have a have to plan. The next and the last, which is the most important thing out of all of this, is you got to have prayer during this. You have to have prayer during this time of silence and solitude. It, the, the, it would not be good if you just, you read the word and you went on with your day. Now, kudos for you, honestly, for just reading the word. That is amazing. But if you want the most out of it, if you want to truly hear what God wants you to take in, what God has to reveal to you, once you read the word, you got to pray. You got to be in prayer about it. Maybe it's before or after where you say, God, you know what, just, just tell me what you want me to get out of this. Reveal to me what you want me to, um, what you want me to hear. And, and maybe at that point, you just sit in silence and listen because it's a two-way street. You pray what God wants to reveal to you, and then you just kind of sit in silence in his presence and listen. But you gotta incorporate prayer with this solitude time. So we're gonna start today. 
we're gonna show up, or maybe not start today, start this week, but we gotta show up. We're gonna pick a time, we're gonna pick a place, pick a plan, and then we have to incorporate prayer. And this should be important to us because it was important to Jesus. And, and we see this in the Gospels. We see this in the life of Jesus himself. He does this. And he doesn't miss the time to do it. Because right before Jesus actually went to the cross, which he knew was coming, he still took the time to go away and pray. Right before he died on the cross for you and for me, he still went to his Aramos, his quiet place, and he spent time with the Father. And yes, he prayed in agony right before because he knew what he was about ready to endure, but he still went off to be with the Father because it was that important. So as we follow Jesus, we need to make sure we're following his example, what he did how he acted, how he lived his life. Because that's truly how we can be in tune with the Father and grow spiritually. So we gotta start our silence, we gotta start our solitude and just see what God does in our lives. And I promise you, you will see him move. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for just this, this message, this book that you've provided where we can see your life and how you truly live, Lord. Because in order for us to grow with our relationship with the Father, we need to live how you live, Lord. We need to love how you love, but we need to spend time the way you did, Lord. So continue to teach us, continue to reveal to us how we can do that. Lord, help us just um, help us prioritize our days and our schedules and where we can keep the important things, the important things, and, and, and that's our relationship with you, Lord. Because once we have that, we know things tend to fall in place, but we gotta put you first. Lord, just thank you just for this message and just challenge us through this week to, to have that time of silence and solitude, Lord. I pray this in your holy name, amen.